0: Under Part 1 of the Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs, under Section D, Confidential Reporting Structure and Investigative Process, it's stated in part, properly scoped investigation by qualified personnel, including the following questions. What steps does the company take to ensure investigations are independent, objective, appropriately conducted, and properly documented? How does the company determine who should conduct an investigation and who should make that determination? These questions were presaged by the DOJ's 2015 Yates Memo and the 2016 FCPA Pilot Program. The pressure on every CCO and indeed company is to get an investigation done quickly, efficiently, and most importantly, getting it right is even more important now. Jonathan Marks began cautioning that when considering any well-run investigation, a CCO must be cognizant of the strictures laid out in the the guidance. It all begins with who in-house is looking at the complaint and does the CCO compliance practitioner or legal team have the skills and capabilities to handle the matter which has arisen. Obviously, if there are esoteric accounting issues or significant internal control workarounds and overrides, the CCO may not have those skills to really understand all these issues. Similarly, if the matter is a global FCPA or equivalent bribery and corruption. These come in different flavors. And because they come in different flavors, you may not have the skills or capabilities to do an investigation that would take place in Brazil, China, Russia, or India. All of this ties into how the government will review an investigation, particularly if the company does not have the skills and capabilities to analyze the allegation or if the allegation is serious enough where they believe that an independent investigation rather than an internal investigation needs to be done. Moreover, if the allegations or the investigation are going to be subject to scrutiny... One of the benefits of having outside counsel is that there's going to be independent skepticism and the ability to think through or work through things unlike you would have with an internal investigation where an internal audit function might be involved. Marks concluded by noting from an outsider's perspective looking in, there was more credibility of having someone come to conduct your investigation. Marks believes the first thing that any investigator must do is to understand the business environment and the extended business enterprise. What I really mean is understand the business you're dealing with, the industry that's in, and the potential risks, the pressures, motivations that might be at play. Understanding that generally with most frauds, there is some pressure to do something because of something else, and there are motivations. And of course, corruption is a form of fraud. Such an initial understanding can help you formulate a comprehensive internal control that might be in place or lacking that could not have been designated properly or overridden. The next step is to quickly and thoroughly analyze the underlying facts and circumstances related to the issues at hand. The number one issue is credibility of the complainant, and it's important to understand how allegations of wrongdoing came to light and the seriousness of the issues involved. At this initial state of the inquiry, that would include such questions as, what, people say, what are people saying has been happening? And what is the individual saying happened? If you know the background of the complainant, you should investigate that, or rather if you don't. How long have they been with the organization? What is their role? Are they credible? Have they complained before? If in fact, this was either a whistleblower allegation or a tip. At this early assessment, you should also consider the possible legal and financial implications of any such allegation. If you determine it is serious at this early structure, you should always consider your internal crisis management team. If the organization does not have one, you should consider retaining an expert. Crisis management doesn't mean necessarily a crisis has happened. It means, in fact, we are in crisis mode and how does that impact the company? So thinking about these issues and knowing what to do, in fact, if you're in a crisis mode, is ultra critical. I think crisis management is totally underplayed. I think many organizations don't have an appropriate crisis management plan. If something goes bad, the organizations could be struggling to figure out how to deal with it. Marks also noted that both communication and collaboration are critical. He advocated that the company ask a series of questions as to what issues are on the table and who is impacted by these issues within the company. Is it the company auditors or some other corporate function? He also advocated considering third parties and contracted entities at the calculus by inquiring if they were key suppliers impacted by the investigation. On the one hand, a key supplier that may get wind of this and may not want to do business with us anymore. Conversely, a key supplier could be the sole source supplier, so you need to think through that alternative arrangements are needed. You should begin to consider these issues early on and continue to think about them as you are going through and doing your investigation. Document preservation is always a critical issue, and this is one which the government regulators will pay particularly attention to uh, at the Initial phase and throughout the investigation, you'll need to take steps to ensure all the data is locked down. This means going into the weeds on such issue as where are your company servers located, what's the backup situation, do you have handheld devices secured? Are the organizations instant text and instant messaging and text messaging and ephemeral messaging tied down? If you do not take such steps, it could well find yourself in a situation where either information is lost or there's the possibility or suspicion that information could be lost. Unfortunately, if the situation leads to a prosecutor imagining the documents are lost, his imagine, his or her imagination may go wild. Basically, you need to have the information locked down so that if the government wants to come in and perform an independent review or test your hypothesis, you can provide them with the required information. So what are today's three key takeaways? Always remember who's your audience. Well, in an investigation, your ultimate audience is always going to be the regulators. It could be the prosecutors from the Department of Justice. Never forget that. Number two, you must understand the business environment and extended business enterprise. This means third parties or perhaps other stakeholders. And number three, communicate and collaborate in an investigation as these are critical. So you should begin early and continue to do so throughout the entire pendency of the investigation. It's really important that you get this done. This is Tom Fox. I hope you enjoy this month's offering on Hotlines and Investigations. A 31 Days to a More Effective Compliance Program. If I could ask you to do so, would you pass on to at least one person this podcast series on the nuts and bolts of compliance as I'm trying to expand my audience base for 31 Days to a More Effective Compliance. I hope you'll join me again tomorrow where I take up another topic in innovation and compliance. Thanks again for listening. 31 Days to a More Effective Compliance Program is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.